Hey, it's Allie. And Jenny. And if you like what you're listening to on Once More With Commentary, we would love it, love it if you guys would subscribe either from iTunes or Google Play, because that's where we are. And we'd also love it if you would take a moment to rate and review us on either of those platforms. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy podcast. Uh, I'm Jenny. And I'm Allie. And this week we're continuing through our journey through season three, and we're going to talk about Gingerbread and Helpless, Mm -hmm. episodes 11 and 12. These are pretty good episodes, I thought. I love Um, Helpless. I love Gingerbread. (laughs) Well, I do too, but I guess I love both of them, but yeah. Is it weird if I think of Gingerbread as a Christmas episode? (laughs) I think it's it's only because it's called Gingerbread. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it comes right after the Christmas episode, but yeah, I do That's love true. Them. But yeah, I uh, had a Halloween party at work today. Oh, it really? Was Phantom of the Opera themed. Did you wear a costume? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I wore a mask, <laughs> but someone else brought it. <laughs> Mostly, I couldn't think of anything in my closet that could easily be used, but I did almost show up to work early to help decorate. Well, my friend made most of the decorations and did most of it herself. Um, but it was it's fun. not the same as a ate, costume. Ate a lot. <laughs> no, I know. I, mean, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't have time to, to get a costume together because I had to get there early. Um, wait, Jenny, what if you had grabbed your Kindestad book and like a piece of wood <laughs> and then you could have been Buffy? <laughs> I did think about bringing my books. <laughs> well, the point of dressing up today was to dress up on theme. So it had to be Phantom of the Opera themed. Oh, but that's so limiting. Like all you can dress up then is like a bit player in the opera well you're just supposed to wear something formal oh. I mean you don't have to you could have dressed up as something else but it was the suggested theme ah. um it's because it relates to a project that we were doing uh so it was also like fun it was fun um although I've never seen read or listened to the fan of the opera <laughs> I only really vaguely know the story <laughs> And most of it is what I learned from the, the brief parody appearance that it makes in the Gremlins too. <laughs> so, you know. Well, that would make it harder to find a costume then. <laughs> well, I knew what other people were doing, which was dressing like they were going to the opera. It was fun, though. I ate too much um, Rice crispy treats. Too many. But they were really good. And they were shaped like ghosts. Wait, how do you do that? Is it just like they used a cookie cutter or is mm-hmm. like they like molded them into... I'm pretty sure she cookie-cuttered them okay. out of a flat pan. They were great, and they were adorable. They looked just like a ghost. Like um, a Casper ghost? or like Yeah. A, yeah. Well, like a cookie-cutter ghost. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Are they like little Pac-Man ghosts? Or like, uh, it was one with like a little, like a pointy tail, you know, like a, a tail that curves into like a swoopy point. Yeah, like a Casper ghost. Yeah, like a Casper ghost. Yeah. I don't know why I'm like really obsessed with these. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> they look just like a ghost cookie cutter. <laughs> um, anyway. Wait, did you did you tell me earlier that you broke your knuckle? <laughs> yeah, I did say that. Uh, I don't think it's actually broken, but I did really hurt it. I've got like a little bruise on my... It's not even my main knuckle. It's like the top knuckle. Oh. You know? Did like you the punch top a end. wall? No, I don't know what I did. I felt it happen yesterday when I was riding the train, but I don't... I, I didn't hit it. 
I was holding on to like some bat, like plastic bags from, from stores, but I don't think that I had them just on the one finger. So I really don't know. I kind of, I felt it. And then I thought it would have just kind of like cracked like a little too far and it would like feel better in a few minutes, but it still hurts. And now it's visibly bruised. So stay, stay tuned for the update on that. If it's actually broken, it's not because I'm just deciding that it's not, but you know, the perils we'll of an urban commute. Wow. But I really don't know what happened. I, it must've been, I hung a bag on it, but I didn't like, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't recognize the actual moment, but who knows? Your life is such a mystery. How do they cut the ghosts into the Rice Krispies? <laughs> that, I actually do you, don't think that one is a mystery at all. Your knuckle. <laughs> the former is not a mystery. I told you the answer. It was with a cookie cutter. <laughs> but like as to the how, like I the method, I suppose. Okay. Well, I'll ask for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can't sleep otherwise. Mm-hmm. There were other shapes too. Is that gonna throw you for a loop? No, it's more the cookie cutter of it all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Did you do anything exciting this week? Um, I did not. Well, I've been on a quest to get back into... This is so boring. I've I've been on a quest to get back into like some sort of solid exercise routine. I see. And I got a little overzealous yesterday with the walking lunges and my five-pound weights. And Mm. so my hamstrings today are like dead, basically. Mm. But I think that's success. Like, if they're sore, then that means I worked them, right? Right. I, I don't know. Mm. I, I, like, definitely thought last night that I was, like, about to get a Charlie horse in my um, in my hamstring, which from what that's I've heard is, like, the worst thing to have yeah. happen. Um, so, like, that's the most exciting thing that happened to me all okay. week, which should tell you how a exciting my life is. A near Charlie horse experience? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Yeah, well, and, I mean... This is so boring. Now I'm going to talk about the weather. It's been so okay, <laughs> so hot here. Mm. So um, I think this is semi-related to my Charlie horses. Like I think I was like just really dehydrated, and mm. so maybe I should have drank more water before I went on a run. I don't know. Like I'm sorry, my life is so boring. I don't, I don't okay. know what to tell you to make it. Well, sound you, you watched some exciting episodes of Buffy. We did. I mean, this is this is why I just live vicariously through Buffy Summers. Yeah. So, so actually Your also life is exciting. This doesn't have anything to do specifically with the episodes that we watched, but I was um poking around on Reddit while I was like a few hours ago and uh reading some Buffy threads. Uh and I was like there's a whole so there's like a whole obviously there's probably a million, but I was only on one Buffy like subreddit and there are a bunch of posts that people always have the like soul discussion basically that we have basically nothing we've ever said is original because it's all heavily extensively covered all over the internet but um I was kind of tell our precious (laughs) few listeners that they could find this information elsewhere um we're the only ones and we're super right anyway so I was kind of skimming through some of those posts I didn't want to get too into it because like frankly it was a lot of arguments and I like you know I despite my Halloween party was super fun but like this week has felt really stressful in especially you know just like every day is just like a new onslaught of different news that I don't want to hear. And so it was like, I was trying to not be in a headspace where I'm also being negative about Buffy, but, um, wow, I'm really getting derailed. What I'm trying to say is that I heard, I read an interesting thought about the souls and I haven't thought about it enough to like commit to it, but I thought I wanted to just pose it out there for you and everyone else and just kind of see where this gets us. But, so um, what is, so, oh, you're going to ask the question. It's not actually a question. So basically the question is just kind of like the thing that we always debate, which is like, okay, does, not not having a soul really make you a completely different 
evil character or is it somewhere kind of in between who you used to be and who you are now, right? Like, because we've just, I mean, I think that what we've, I think what we both agree is that like, truthfully, the show started in one place and ended somewhere else. So it's like, it's not really consistent in the show. And it's just, I think the, what happens when you start writing a story like this and that stuff isn't totally fleshed out from the beginning, right? Is that you end up making choices that don't really make sense. So ultimately I think that the show is just inconsistent with how they treat it. But I do think it's fun to kind of think about explanations for like why, why evil Spike and good Spike are not that different when Angel and Angelus are two basically completely different people. And one of the things that I, the theory that I read was like, oh, maybe it has to do with how much humanity you have kind of to begin with of like the fact that Angel as a human was like a really pathetic person, right? Like that's kind of part of his whole story. So like the demon in him is able to like win out much more easily. And then the suggestion being then that like for Spike, it's like he just had, he had a lot more, you know, quote unquote humanity. Again, these are all such big terms that it's like whatever, but just that basically like his humanity is able to like stave off the demon in better, different, not better, but like in, he's able to stave it off more, which is why like he kind of keeps a lot more of his personality. So maybe, but I would specify that as not so much like humanity, meaning you're a strong person, but more right. like no, 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 strong personality. Yeah, like you don't have a lot of morality or something because right, like right, right. They human made- Spike was also kind of like a like a dud. Not yeah, like kind of a dip. Like not that much to like you know deal with he, anyway. Like he, he was, was like a, but he had like things he was committed to, right? Like he came off as pathetic, but he was committed to his poetry, he was committed to romance, and he was committed to his mom. Versus like I think Angel oh, okay. was just committed to drinking. <laughs> That's true. And whoring. Well, th- those <laughs> so, are those again. are it's interesting that you bring this up because and I would be interested to know what other people think um those who are listening, but um these are sort of some things that came up for me watching these episodes um, of like, like the humanity oh, versus no, like your human self and mm-hmm. like where the demon comes in, especially mm-hmm. with um, helpless. And then mm-hmm. um, I think with um, gingerbread, there was oh. another question that I okay. had along those lines that I, um, I can't we'll really remember it. what it was, but we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, no, because. It is always a really interesting question of like, yeah, but like I like show, this idea that like would, how strong your personality or, hum, you know, exactly. Like they were calling it humanity, but like personality essentially kind of has an effect on how much the demon can affect you. So like it is kind of a war between your, the demon in you. Right. And, well, and, we, and the we sort of person use that you humanity are, so. as this term for like morality in a lot of times. I guess I didn't mean ways, it that but way. Like, yeah. But humanity doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, like, right. like, I mean, like this is a, this is what it was with gingerbread was like, you know, there's this part where Buffy says someone with a soul did right, this. Right. Right. And, and it, but that again is sort of conflating having a soul with being good, which mm-hmm. we've learned through many characters that we've mm-hmm. met on the show and that's not necessarily a one for one kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good time to bring it up because we're going to talk yeah. about it a little bit more. Um, but first, should we do a run through of gingerbread? We should. Yeah. Um, do you Can I do gingerbread? Do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So in this episode, you know, Buffy, we open on Buffy doing her regular Slayer duties in a graveyard and all of a sudden Joyce shows up uninvited. Uh, and like, uh, you know, Buffy is a little bit like, mm, not maybe annoyed, but like put off like, oh, mom, what are you doing here? And she kind of gets in the way. And so Buffy runs off to slay a vampire and meanwhile, and tells her mom to like stay put. But meanwhile, Joyce discovers um, two, the bodies of two murdered children, like in the nearby park. 
And so when Buffy returns, you know, Joyce is obviously really distraught and they have to call the police um, because, you know, there, there's no evidence, at least obviously, that this was done by vampires. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Joyce is really traumatized. Also, Buffy sees on one of their hands like a mysterious symbol. Um, so when she reports this to Giles, he kind of suggests that like, well, if there's a symbol involved, then maybe it was something ritual and kind of going back to what you were just saying, maybe humans did this or it was part of some sort of occult ritual or witch taking, uh, you know, which uh, uh, rituals, I can't think of another word for it. Um, meanwhile, Amy's back in this episode cause we're talking about witches. So Amy has to come back. Um, so, you know, we see that Willow and Amy and so like this other kid, Michael, who we've never seen before are still practicing witchcraft. You know, we know that Willow has been practicing witchcraft this whole time. And it's actually kind of interesting to see her do something with um, Amy. And at the same time, because Joyce was so traumatized by this event, she kind of starts taking it upon herself to like start up a, you know, like a movement in the town to like protect their kids. She knows that this supernatural stuff has been going on because she knows her daughter is a slayer. Um, unfortunately she ends up kind of conflating the Slayer with all of the other evil things that happen in their town and, and also throws witchcraft in there as well. So she starts up her own organization called Moo. Uh, it's a little bit like Skew, if you will. (laughs) It is. Um, and basically works with, I don't even know, it's unclear what the town's, what the mayor and the government involvement is with this, but basically, you know, the school starts doing raids on all the kids, basically any association with witchcraft or the occult gets you labeled as someone dangerous and it just everything keeps escalating quickly and quickly and by the end of the episode Joyce and all the other parents in towns are pretty are targeting their own children anybody that they think is at all related to any of this stuff so that they can like burn them at the stake um meanwhile we the audience and Giles figure out that in fact the children weren't murdered they are like part of the the source for the fairy tale Hansel and Gretel and instead of them having been murdered by anything they're in fact a demon that tricks people into thinking that they've been murdered and then like incites riots and mobs in that in that town so Joyce has been kind of maybe put under a spell sort of by this demon to think that she needs to do go to these such extreme measures so by the end of the episode Buffy Willow and Amy are all on stakes getting burned alive by their parents but of course Giles and Cordelia and maybe Oz and um, Xander to a less extent, uh, save the day, put out the fires and destroy the, you know, make the demon reveal itself and then Buffy kills it. Um, also, Amy turns into a rat to, to try and get out of it. We can yeah. talk more about that. Um, so I think the biggest thing for me about this episode is, I mean, it is kind of like, it's a fun one. It's mm-hmm. it kind of explores <laughs> well, like sort of the, fun. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Fun in that like... Um, it kind of, I guess for me, fun in that everyone's kind of involved. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of... Yeah, that's a good um, point. I, I would All say something like a, like a classic one. Yeah, but so for me, I think the weird... Not weird, but the the strangest thing about this is, like, they use this whole plot point of, you know, the demon sort of inciting this culture of fear and, mm-hmm. um, you know, anti-mysticism that the demon is feeding off of kind of, like, the emotions and... Um, everything like that it's causing but you know it's it's odd to me that this is the first time in the town that people are actually getting this upset about mysterious deaths like for sure would be seem to me to be the kind of place where 
a demon like this wouldn't actually do very well because, mm-hmm. I mean, because they're so they're so mystical, normal. It's so normalized yeah, for them. Mysterious mystical deaths are not like an unknown thing. And like, and how Joyce tries to say is like, well, or someone was like, well, they're children, and it's like, but right. like high school kids are children too. Like, yeah, in a certain way. Like, I mean, these kids were really young, but like, to me, also like, kind of the loophole of that is like. Like, I think they are kind of all under a spell, and that's part well, of the exactly. thing. Well, exactly. I was just going to say like, that, that. It takes this for them to, like, actually, like, do this. I mean, like, we see the mayor just being there being, like, the mayor mm-hmm. um, who gets kind of, like, called in in this way because of this thing that happens in the town that he's running. But, like, I think the other thing of it, like, to me, the loophole is, like, it's odd how it works. Like, it has to be a spell because, like, it, yeah. it's a long time until someone thinks to ask, like, where are their parents? Exactly. Like, for sure. They're all uh, like clouded, you know, their, yeah. their knowledge of what's going on isn't totally straightforward. I mean, I think the other thing that definitely, I think it's, it's definitely the demon has supernatural powers that like influence people and cloud their judgment because also by the end of it, you know, everybody's pretty much forgotten about it kind of in the way that they always do in the town when there's major well, supernatural and, events. So like, I do but think that's that something it, that Joyce tries to bring up where she's saying like, how many times have we like kept silent because <clears> we're <throat> afraid. And it's like, she's basically saying that the town doesn't talk about this, like the underbelly thing of it. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like ashamed or afraid or something. But like mm-hmm. most of the time it seems like no one really knows what's going on in the town. Like they're telling people there are gas leaks and like mm-hmm. PCP and like, you know, they never really get the, the straight answer and, like, maybe they glimpse a vampire here or there. But, like, people have this, like, the people of Sunnydale, not just Joyce and not just Willow's mom, like, they've got mm-hmm. a, a very big case of selective memory. They do. I'm, and maybe it's a survival mechanism. It I is, don't know. yeah. I don't think that that's so unreal, unrealistic. Um, I mean, I think the lingering question is always, like, why would anyone live there? But, I mean, then again, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, why do people live in the desert? I mean, people yeah, exactly. Like, are, people tend to like try to make do where they are, mm-hmm. and are tethered to their homes because yeah. it has an association for you. So, I, I I do think that it is a survival mechanism. Is that if they admit that all this stuff is is happening, then I, I mean, then I guess they have to deal with it. I but I think people do that constantly in other real you know real world ways. There's a lot of equivalencies to stuff like that. Um, well, I think so. There's it is interesting like a, that this is the some sort of parallel that we're supposed to be drawing between this and like fascism or something. <laughs> uh, I guess I didn't see too much fascism, but maybe. Well, isn't uh, that kind of what it is where it's like indiscriminate, like military state where they're like, um, mm-hmm. you have to all like, you yeah, know, any, I guess you're any right. Outside beliefs to what we've decided is okay. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I was more focused. Is like a fringe of I don't know. Maybe I guess I was more focused right. on Joyce's involvement, which I think is more like a mob mentality than fas- outright fascism. But I guess they're all going to go hand in hand, and she does definitely team up with Principal Snyder, who is clearly a fascist. You know, well that's what I, that's why I guess so, what I'm talking about right. like the scene with the lockers, mm-hmm. with like you know they're confiscating everything, yeah. like, taking people away. Like mm-hmm. it felt very like you're right. Yeah, I guess I think that has parallels to lots of things, not only fascism. Well, true. Um, uh, and I think the state involvement was kind of limited. I do want to talk about the mayor, but I don't want to talk about him yet. Um, I, <laughs> I guess I do what, so both Buffy's mom and Willow's mom get a lot of screen time in this. You know, it's the first time that we've ever seen Willow's mom. And I actually think that this is, you know, sometimes when they try and kind of like wedge in explanations or like, you know, 
come up with some sort of kind of plot device. It doesn't really, it doesn't always work for me, but I think in this case it works really well. You know, Willow's mom is essentially a plot device. She's never going to show up again. Um, and they've only mentioned her once or twice offhandedly anyway. So, but like trying to fit in a mom that makes sense both in this arc and to what they've said in the past, I think that it works really well. You know, well, we've, I think at this point we've heard Willow say once or twice that like her mom doesn't really care about her. And so it's interesting to see the way that that plays out in this particular scenario. Um, well, no, it's really interesting because before the whole situation unfolds, mm-hmm. we get a really sad yeah. further glimpse into Willow's home life because, you know, Buffy's talking about her mom showing up and sort of helicopter slaying with mm-hmm. her. Like, you know, she she just wants to bond and Willow <laughs> is like... Yeah, is jealous. Yeah, she's like, sad. oh, that's yeah. really nice that your mom wanted to do that. And, you know, she kind of... Um, talks more about like how her parents I guess aren't really aware of things and we we see throughout the episode like her mom didn't even know she was dating Oz she didn't um, notice she cut her hair she for didn't like notice six she months cut her yeah. hair. like yeah I mean it's actually really heartbreaking yeah, awful yeah um and then unfortunately when she does take an interest it's under the spell of this demon mm-hmm. and she's only taking an interest because like had she not found out that Willow was dabbling in witchcraft maybe she wouldn't have taken more of an interest mm-hmm. um it's really interesting but also really sad where the one time willow's mom is actually like paying any attention to her is to like burn her at the stake yeah i Um, mean and i yeah i think it's clear that like her mom is completely self-centered like that's you know yeah yeah, but i think what was interesting to me the other flip side of that is we really get a glimpse of where willow comes from like it's Mm -hmm. kind of implied that both of her parents are academics Mm -hmm. her mom is talking about her dad being away at a conference or something Mm -hmm. and then her mom is talking about the paper she most recently so it's like right I, I'm guessing her parents are some sort of like. I mean, her mom know, is definitely an academic. I assume, but her but that. she seems yeah. like some sort of psychological field or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's sort of talking to Willow like she's like part of like a society group mm-hmm. or something, um, and she's she's part of the rise of mysticism among adolescents. <laughs> that was yeah, yeah. the line. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then of course it's like yeah. It, it, she's yeah she's just a really interesting character because she's so obviously oblivious to what's in front of her which is that she has an adolescent daughter and meanwhile she spends all of her professional life writing papers about adolescents and their relationships to their parents but can't bother to like foster one with her own daughter i mean again mostly it's just really sad and it's amazing that willow's turned out to be the great person that she has but that also does explain a little bit of why she's so smart and why she knows a lot of things because it does seem like the only conversations that they ever have revolve around academia Right. Like, that's what I mean. It goes a long way to yeah. explain, like, the the willowness of Willow. But why is Willow so, you know, empathetic and nice and completely not self-centered? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the miracle. I guess sometimes that's, yeah, you fill the holes yourself or something. I don't know. But it was really sad. I guess I, but I did think it was like a good use of like, oh, sometimes when they try and shoehorn in these characters and make them work in the episode, it's like, what are you talking about? But this one I thought worked really well. Again, obviously it's horrible and sad. And by the end of it, yeah, her mom and Buffy's mom are, are literally trying to kill them, but. Yeah. And Buffy's mom broke the secret identity code. That was, Mm. I think the worst part of this whole thing was she just like outed Buffy as a slayer to the entire town. Well, she didn't name her. She didn't, but like. But. It was a little was shocking a big when clue. she said yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. I think it was also just shocking because she was saying, like, vampires, demons, and slayers, like, they were all part of the same bad group, not making a distinction. You know, she's just literally shoving everything occult into one bag instead of saying, like, well, some of it's good and some of it's bad. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I do you think that the, you know, because Joyce becomes 
kind of, she's the centerpiece of this. You know, she's the one that starts the movement. She's the one that orders the raids. She's the one that saw the dead kids. I wonder if some of, you know, is it, clearly it's always been effective because like the way that it's explained that, that like we, you know, they dig up articles finding out that these same the demon posing as these two kids has done the same thing over and over again, like around the world. So I guess Joyce isn't more susceptible to it, but it is interesting because Joyce also has this layer, right? Of like, she's found out her daughter is this layer. She's trying to be involved with that part of her life, but she can't really. And like, it is the one thing that she like has no control over Buffy in. I mean, she, she, well, she doesn't have control over Buffy at all. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's the slayer. So it does seem like there's also this weird dynamic of like Joyce trying to gain control of Buffy, you know, that's like part of their interpersonal conflict right now anyway. So it's weird that this, or it's interesting that this kind of goes side by side with that, right? That like, this is a way for her to get control over it. Yeah. She kind of says that, right? Where she says, Mm -hmm. I wanted a normal, happy daughter and instead I've got a slayer. Like, Mm -hmm. God, could you imagine it as Buffy to hear your mother say that? It's something that you can't control. And like, she's sort of implying that like, you know, in some ways it's better now that she knows why Buffy is the way mm-hmm. she is, but in some ways also like her knowing that is like, she's disappointed that that's the daughter that she was dealt. Mm-hmm. I guess I just wonder if somehow this spell was more effective on Joyce than it would have been on anyone else in town because or she has this extra baggage. That's maybe why she was chosen. Why like, she chosen. I did I know, have that question like, too. Yeah. It seems like she was because we don't see anyone else seeing the dead kids. Which, by the well, way, should be a big red flag to Joyce that she's seeing dead children. <laughs> true. Um, but she's, yeah, I guess, again, she's so enthralled at that point. But I, that's true after the fact. But when she actually finds the bodies in the park, that could have been anyone. Or did they pick her? Um, see, that's I mean, what I don't, I don't know. Because, like, it's kind of like we get that exchange where, like, she's talking to Buffy and Buffy has to run away mm-hmm. to go fight Chase the Chase a vampire, so, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just coincidence. It's unclear. But yeah. for whatever reason, like, her discovering the bodies and reacting the way she does seems to be, like, she was the target. Mm-hmm. So, like, because that has to be right. a focal point to, like, um, sort of raise the alarm, mm-hmm. right? Like, if everyone, mm-hmm. like, if the cops just come and say, oh, there's another death in Sunnydale, like, nothing really happens. But there's got to be a person saying this is not okay and, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, it is strange how quickly everything escalates from how awful, how shocking, I'm going to mm-hmm. have a candlelight vigil to, like, well, we've got to take all the spell books and mm-hmm. random stuff out of people's lockers. Um, interesting. I don't remember if we know whose locker it was, but did you see they pulled, like, a big sheaf of garlic cloves out of someone's locker? <laughs> no. It wasn't Willow's? No, I don't think so. That's funny. No, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I was like, hmm. <laughs> um, That's, but like, yeah, that is interesting. I, from what I understand is like, like, and especially at the end when the demon kids are like pleading with Joyce, you know, it seems like they chose her as kind of like the, mm-hmm. the catalyst for all. I kind of think so too. I guess I just think it's like they, there's no way they could have known it would go so, so well. Or I mean, also it doesn't go that well because ultimately the Slayer reigns and she kills him, but Or maybe they did think it would go that well because it mm-hmm. always does. Mm-hmm. Like, the demon had no reason to think that this wouldn't work. It's just that he happened to pick a town where the Slayer was. I guess I'm saying, did they target Joyce specifically knowing she was going to be really susceptible both to the sympathy to the kids and also to this, like, kind of struggling power dynamic between her and her daughter? No, but I think that's just the writer. Are they just kind of, yeah. (laughs) I think that's just the writer saying, hmm, there's an interesting parallel here. No, I know, but I, I like to pose it as though... Oh, as though yeah. the demon I'm, I'm asking rhetorical <laughs> questions. <laughs> I'm trying to discuss this. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I also, you know, I'm not exactly sure what to make of Joyce's kind of big critique of Buffy, which is, but I mean, I guess I do know what to make of it, but it's very cutting when she gets up there and in front of everybody says like, well, Sunnydale's not getting any safer. So like, what are we really accomplishing with all of this? You know, like there is some truth to that. I think obviously we know that like Buffy has averted apocalypses. So like in that sense, she's doing some good and saving the world all the time. But in another sense, like, I mean, she's attracting more demons maybe by being there. So yeah, it is kind of like, I just think that's like a particularly painful thing to Joyce for Joyce to announce. Um, Well, what's interesting about to me that was we recently have seen exactly what it would be like if Buffy didn't mm, have the margin, like the tiny marginal victories that she Mm -hmm. has had because we know exactly what would have happened if Buffy wasn't the Slayer in Mm -hmm. Sunnydale. We saw it in Cordelia's um, Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So to have then a couple episodes later Buffy saying maybe... maybe I wouldn't, maybe I haven't done any good. Maybe Mm -hmm. there, there is nothing that we can do like that helps. And like, it's kind of like, Oh, Buffy, like if you only knew. Yeah. 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 But I mean, on ultimately, I actually did really like the conversation that, well, (laughs) parts of Angel's speech to her were a little bit creepy, but mostly I liked where they end up, you know, their conclusion, Angel and Buffy together is that like, yes, it's important to keep fighting, even though we know that we're never going to fully defeat it. And I thought that that was really inspiring. (laughs) It was kind of a nice message when like, again, like, Ugh, everything is awful and it feels really hopeless and it's nice to kind of have someone on my TV saying like, well, you keep fighting and you do what you can because that's the only option. Um, and it also made me think fondly of the uh, series finale of Angel. I was yeah. like, oh, Angel, you're going to really stick to that or at least, you know, ultimately. But they're not wrong. I mean, in no, the face exactly. of like yeah. certain defeat and you know you're right, you just keep fighting anyway. Mm-hmm. I liked, I liked that that was where I think the episode landed, right? Is it's like, I think it's important for Joyce to ask that question or for someone to ask that question occasionally, but like, obviously we know that that's wrong. You know, you can't just keep being the hero without ever questioning your tactics, right? Like that's not a great place to be in. So like, I do think it's important to kind of, for Buffy to have that, you know, ask that of herself, what am I doing and why is it important? And I think to kind of recommit to it once in a while is nice. Well, and I think that ties in with kind of the greater theme of this whole season of, Mm -hmm. you know, Buffy's on the cusp of, like, her future with a capital F, basically. And, like, obviously she has questions of, like, where should I go to school? Should Mm -hmm. I go to school? Can I go to school? But, like, Mm -hmm. also, is it worth giving up, you know, a life for this crusade? And is it worth it? Should I continue? Especially given that, um, you know, there is someone else technically who can sort of pick up mm-hmm. the burden. Um, although it's kind of mentioned that Faith is sort is of... MIA again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, Buffy's asking all these questions already. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think, maybe a little bit more jarring for her to have this coming from her mother. Yeah, but, certainly. But maybe not. I mean, maybe... Joyce was eventually going to ask that anyway when it comes time to Buffy to choose a college or something. Buffy's making all of her decisions around being the Slayer. And I could imagine Joyce saying, are you really going to give up your entire life for this? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. And we never really, I mean, you're right. They don't really settle on an answer of like whether she's doing a great amount of good. Well, you're, before, you're totally like, right, though. You're right that we literally saw a whole episode play out where we, we, we as viewers know indisputably that she's doing good. And I, we also know indisputably that she's say, averted the actual world end several times. So it's like, even if people are still dying in Sunnydale, the alternative is the whole world is dead. So yes, she's doing good. Like, But what we also know is that, and we've talked about this before, like if you, if you look at, if you take a few steps back and you look at this, mm-hmm. 
it's so ridiculously lopsided where you have like the forces of evil against mm-hmm. a librarian and like four <laughs> one, high school one, students. Yeah. Like it's it's a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um so like they could be forgiven for doubting themselves every mm-hmm. now and then. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah, I guess I just I like the way all of that played out. I think those are important questions to ask. I think they're realistic questions to ask, but I also think that yeah, it's 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 good to see Buffy recommit as we do occasionally to like what her mission is and why she does it. Obviously she does it because she was chosen, but like that she personally frequently makes the decision to, to do it also. Like now that she knows everything she knows, well, I guess this is going to actually segue nicely into the next episode when we get there. But like now that she knows what she knows, she can't just not do anything. She has to do something. Even if she doesn't have her Slayer powers, she would still be involved in this. She's been oh, so, so conditioned to be the hero now mm-hmm. that she doesn't even, I mean, maybe but we'll I talk about this in the I, next I one, but like oh. the point is like she doesn't need to have these powers to feel that she's the one who can help. But I don't think it's that she's been conditioned. I think, I guess at least that's not the point I'm trying to make right now so much is that again, that she makes an active choice to be someone who's, who's doing good or I guess should I try her conditioned hardest. In that she's done it for so long now that that's who she considers herself. Mm-hmm. Like she's been conditioned to think of herself as, you know, the person who can help, I guess. So she wants to, instead of just having to. Okay. I guess condi- saying condition makes me feel like it's something that's been foisted upon her, which it has, but like, I think, well, again, I that she's like, accepting it I'm using the word condition because yeah. based on the last few seasons where we've seen Buffy sort mm. of vacillate between gung-ho slayer and like, you know, just want to be a normal girl. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. I feel like this season, we really see her fully completely taking up the decision of like accepting that she's right she's accepting that mantle not yeah just doing it because she's being told to yeah i like the fairy tale aspect of this story i wish they would do more of that actually i love fairy tales and i love reinterpretations of fairy tales like my favorite thing in all of literature and art (laughs) and so when they got to that part i was like oh that's right i love this episode like the idea that like oh there's truth behind every fairy tale that we've always been told or at least many of them i really liked and particularly like the the way that they turn this hansel and gretel on its head is it's like oops that witch was the poor victim those nasty kids like did a spell on everyone to go kill her i think is a particularly like compelling um reinvention of that story um it also completely reminds me of this time that um my some of my friends and i have a little like D campaign and it's not actually dungeons and dragons like a different system but we you know we do a little role playing and it's interesting because the group is made up of all women except for the guy who runs the game who's the guy and he is really great and he like is really good at like rolling with the directions that we choose to go, but we definitely one time he like presented us with like a story where like basically we were wandering around in the woods and we came upon this witch and um, she was like supposed to definitely be evil. But all of us, like, I guess just because we're women and because of these, like the sort of stories that we enjoy, we were like, well, we don't know who made her evil and like what's happening to her. And someone's probably torturing her. And so like by the end of the story, we had rescued, we had rescued her. Um, but it was just really funny because later he told us, he was like, no, she was definitely supposed to be like the villain. She was evil <laughs> the way that I wrote it out. But you guys all decided that like she needed to be rescued and saved and <laughs> she was the real victim. So he just like went with that. <laughs> anyway, that was a little tangent, but, but I well, really liked it. Unbeknownst to him, many witches in history were falsely Well, exactly. I think that's why <laughs> it was like group of like all feminist women role players were all like, uh, 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 on our watch. Like you're not going to just throw these witch accusations out there. Um, anyway, but yeah, 
no, I like I like the way they turned that one on its head. I I was glad that Giles name checked Salem because I was like right there with him. Um, so speaking of witches, though, um, I think oh, yeah. the biggest thing we see uh, is Amy getting stuck as a rat, mm-hmm. obviously, um, which is. If you really think about it, it's played almost for comedy here at the mm-hmm. end. Um, well, for the whole show, really. <laughs> actually, one of the more yeah. tragic things that happens in yeah. the series to a character. But they've been kind of building towards it for a few seasons because mm-hmm. this was her go-to spell to the point where, like, as soon as she's saying, Goddess Hecate, work thy will, Buffy goes, uh-oh, because she knows exactly what that spell does. Wait, she's turned term- other people into rats? That's how Amy turned Buffy into a rat. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God, yeah. I totally forgot about that. So, and so I think that, like, to have that then eventually backfire on her, mm-hmm. like, in that she turned herself into one, but then no one else could actually work that spell, um, Do, seems like, yeah. you know, dramatic irony, but, like, it's really tragic if you think about it. Like, this is Amy who doesn't even finish high school because she's turned into a rat, and it mm-hmm. takes seasons for Willow to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. How to undo it, I um, guess. Well, so this is the question. I, this is actually not my question. Uh, this is Alex's question. But w- I, I don't know why it never occurred to me to ask this, though. But was she trying to turn everyone else into rats? No. I, are you she was sure? trying to turn are herself into sure? a rat to escape the fire. Are you sure? Because the way she says it is like, you're all going to be vermin. I kind of think she just messed up. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. I, I it was... never even crossed my mind. On it. But then when I like thought back about like the actual spell that she cast, and that, like you're saying... Previously, she's only cast that cell on other people. I don't know. It's possible that's totally what she meant to do. But either way, right, it backfires on her horribly. But I was like, oh, my God, never even occurred to me that she might have been trying to curse the other people. I always assumed she meant to do herself because then, like, Buffy's like, she couldn't have done us first. Mm-hmm. Like, that's you know, true. Yeah. it seemed like she was, like, just throwing around the word vermin because she was turning in. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, that. That's a really good question. I also have never considered I, that. Like, I, I always felt like... I agree with our interpretation, which is that she was trying to escape. And I ultimately think that that's right. But again, it's just like, sometimes it's like, it's just interesting to watch shows with people that haven't seen it a million times and drawn all their conclusions firmly in the sand, you know, like, oh, oh, right. I guess I, I never even thought about that. <laughs> like, oh, this is a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'd be curious to see if it's the same exact words that she used when she cursed Buffy or if they changed the, the verbiage a little bit. So you said you want to talk about the mayor? Yeah, I guess really. So he shows, so Buffy's mom organizes like a vigil, right? And it kind of turns into like, not a political rally so exactly, but like a rally, right? Where she sort of ends up unveiling her like plan for Moo. Um, She's not calling it that yet. Anyway, while they're there, you know, the mayor shows up at the vigil to like give a pretty traditional like local politician speech on like, oh, this is so tragic and we're going to do everything we can to make sure this never happens again, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then, you know, Buffy's mom kind of calls him out and says like, well, this has been going on the whole time and nothing, you've never stopped it. So yada, yada, yada. But after that, we don't see the mayor again. And I am just very curious, you know, I ultimately, I think, you know, they just, they don't have time to deal with this, but knowing that the mayor is going to, we know that the mayor knows about supernatural stuff going on in town. What, why do you think he let this play out? You know, did he think that this demon was going to do away with the Slayer? And so that was why he was just like, sure, whatever. Or like, does he, he doesn't enjoy chaos, you know. It seems like he wouldn't support this like mob mentality. Or is he also under the spell? I didn't think about that until just now. I assumed he was also under the spell. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Or I'm right. I'm because otherwise it's that he sees Buffy being targeted and figures it's going to mm-hmm. take care of his problem. But I just always assumed like, 
why else would he show up at this thing? I mean, or maybe it's just he's actually well, being I mean, the mayor. He's but a like, politician, yeah. Yeah, but I just always assume, like, he was also under the spell. Yeah. Like... But interesting, then, that, like, really, is like, he that weak that he can kind of be overtaken by these kind of minor demons? I'm just curious. He's not that powerful yet. He's just I know, yeah. Brutal. That's what I said, too, but... um I do think it's, it's always kind of, it's, it is kind of the weird thing going on in this season, right? Is that we know that the mayor knows about all this stuff. So any episode that he's not directly involved in is a little bit like, well, what's the mayor doing about this? Right. <laughs> um, and they don't ever answer those questions, really. No. Um, I mean, I guess my assumption too is like, given what we didn't find out about the mayor is like, you know, if it doesn't like impact his standing in the community too much, he seems mm-hmm. pretty willing to let this stuff play out, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was, you know, organizing a sacrifice to that demon. He was, you know, yeah. monitoring Spike, but not interfering. He was, um, in this case, letting this kind of play out. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem like he wouldn't just let it go. They are burning everybody in the city hall building. It looks like. They are. It is pretty yes. reckless. He's <laughs> okay with them just burning down his building. <laughs> I don't understand the logic of burning Inside? people at the stake yeah. indoors. Yeah. It seems like that would cause Kill a lot of fire with the concerns, smoke inhalation. I mean, I you know. <laughs> yeah, I they couldn't bother to build another set. Fair enough. It could have been that they were limited as to like either they couldn't film it outside mm-hmm. or you know it was like. They ran out of, like, nighttime. I don't know. They had to pay for all those pyrotechnics so they couldn't build another set. It never actually occurred to me before how weird it is that they're burning them at the stake inside. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. For also, for some reason, I always kind of thought they were at Buffy's house at the end of this episode. That makes even, that makes no sense at all, so. I (laughs) want to talk about Cordelia, as I always do, and how much of a hero she is in this episode. She is, and it's great because... We see her sort of actively not trying to be part of this group. Yeah. And she still kind of gets sucked in anyway. Well, and again, that she actively doesn't like any of them right now, but that she's, we like, she you know, they Giles. really painted her as this like shallow character in season one. And like, it just, I guess, obviously we all know this already, but like, she's clearly not so shallow that she's going to let her pettiness, you know, get in the way of anything when there's real danger. And that comes up again in the next episode a lot too. I think like, I really enjoy this, some of the interactions that she has with Buffy in the, in the next episode. But yeah, in this one where but it's that like. that fits with season one Cordelia too. I mean, she. Mm, that's true. Yeah. was kind of ridiculous, but she was still willing to give them like a ride somewhere. Um, I just like talking about it. It's not anything new. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And I mean, but also we've, we've established in the past that Cordelia really likes Giles. That's true. And that she, like, but, like, when they get into the city hall building and she, like, elbow, without hesitation, elbows the glass, breaks the glass and pulls out the fire hose, I'm like, that's also pretty badass. Like, I don't, you know. She's not to be underestimated. She is not. Also, they really probably burned, you know, they, I, I never really thought about this much, but, like, the stakes are being burned on Giles, like, they're, the the thing that they're burning is Giles' books, all of his spell books and all of his reference, demon reference books. So, like, they probably damaged a lot of stuff. I'm kind of surprised that they don't ever make mention of that again, being like, well, I don't know. I don't have that book anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all we really get of that is, like, Buffy telling her mom, like, well, when the apocalypse comes, yeah. we can't stop it because you took all the books that we need. I mean, that's the part, too, to me that doesn't make a lot of sense is, like, Joyce is trying to say, like, she's stopping all this, like, evil, but, mm-hmm. like, she's also greatly inhibiting the side of good and she knows Buffy's good but she's also not making a distinction anymore between anything mystical Mm -hmm. like 
It doesn't right. matter whether it's intended to do good or evil. It's all going under one umbrella. Yeah. But it feels really realistic to me, though. Especially yeah. in terms of the censorship with the books. This is like, I mean, people are still censoring Harry Potter and telling kids they can't read that. So, like, how far away from this episode are Which, we? Are we really honestly, in a society? People <laughs> yeah. who censor Harry Potter yeah. because it's like promoting the occult yeah, to me just proves they have never read Harry Potter. Well, obviously, yeah. Ugh. But I'm just saying, like, the complete illogicalness of everything Joyce does, at least she has the excuse of being under a demonic spell. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is not true for everyone. Oh, this episode also really r- reminded me, granted, this is not a thing I have like personal memories of, but it really re- uh, was reminiscent, I think, of the like satanic panic in like the 80s and 90s, you know, when everyone was like afraid of their kids listening to metal and playing D&D. And like, I guess I com- missed that. Confiscating. I actually have only really, it's, it's frequently, re- it's been referenced in other like novels and stuff that I've read, but like, that was a real thing that, like, for a while, people were like, oh, no, Dungeons & Dragons is teaching your kids all about the occult, and you have to take it away from them. And same with heavy metal, which, like, you know, anyway, I, among other things. So, like, kind of that whole, again, that whole scene where they're, where or really all the times that Cordelia's like, oh, yeah, my mom took away my candles and all my black clothes is, like, <laughs> I think that kind of was a thing that was going on for a while. <laughs> or at least people were very afraid of, like, anything that had a tinge of occult to it because they thought everyone was going to, like, was seducing their kids to go perform satanic rituals of sacrifice. Do you think that's sort of what this episode was poking fun at? Kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody writing this episode would have that. That would be something part of their like lifetime as a adolescence. Interesting. I, I never really thought of it from that angle before. Mm. I mean, I, I you know, they're, they're, they're talking about so much in this episode. I don't think it's like the, the prominent theme, but it definitely like, no, but I was I, like, Oh, I that's probably where that a, informed it a little. Like an influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, remember, let's do our yeah. Buffy Satanic Panic episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It just came up recently in something I was reading, and I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. Oh, well. <sighs> anyway, uh, should we move on to Helpless? Yeah, Helpless. We get another birthday episode for Buffy <laughs> where she <laughs> once again has a stellar birthday. If you oh. remember last t- her last birthday, her 17th birthday, um, Drusilla sent her an arm of, or accidentally or they intercepted the arm of the judge and realized that Drusilla was trying to raise this demon and um, Buffy and Angel also had sex and Angel lost his soul. So <laughs> yes, not great a birthday. great history. <laughs> um, and then this year, what ends up happening is Buffy starts to feel weak and kind of feels like she's losing her powers and you know she keeps asking Giles should she be worried what's going on and Giles kind of keeps giving her the runaround of Mm -hmm. like oh you probably have the flu like just rest um but then we see that Giles is actually working with the Watchers Council on a test that a Slayer has to complete or complete on her 18th birthday or when she reaches when and if she reaches her 18th Mm -hmm. birthday which seems like a really cruel way to reward her for staying alive (laughs) yeah (laughs) um where the Slayer is disabled and then entrapped with a particularly nasty vampire that she then has to defeat based solely on like her courage and like brains and strategy and basically everything that she has at her disposal that is not her enhanced slayer powers um but Buffy finds out about this before the test can happen so Giles feeling guilty tells her all about it um and he basically tells her that the test is invalidated because she finds out about it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the vampires that she was supposed to um, 
face off against is a particularly wily one and also pretty insane. Um, and so he breaks out of the, um, the field of battle, I suppose, <laughs> and kidnaps Joyce. And mm-hmm. so Buffy has to go to the house and fight him anyway. Um, without her powers um and she ends up defeating him through the very clever use of holy water which is <laughs> my favorite slaying of yeah, Buffy's ever yeah um, uh, agreed but then you know and it's all like rah rah yay Buffy you're so clever but you know the end of the episode still has this um kind of sad tinge to where Buffy and Giles have this horrible fight where she tells him that you know she can't really trust him mm-hmm. anymore and then you see at the end they kind of if not, if all is not forgiven, they've sort of come back together, you know, after she's done this and she's letting him help her um, clean her wounds mm-hmm. and everything. But Giles gets fired because they determine right. that he's too close to the Slayer and that that kind of father-daughter relationship has no place in a Slayer-Watcher relationship. Mm-hmm. And so um, Giles comes to Buffy's aid in the end, but he loses his job over it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's a really depressing birthday. It is. Angel gives Buffy a book of poetry and says some really cheesy stuff to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The angel. I've always been pretty unclear about when in season three they actually get back together. I guess it's pretty, I think it's just because it is vague. I was thinking Um, in the last episode, like, oh, are they back together now? But... Then, like, in this episode, Angel was like, oh, he kind of made a joke about uh, asking if she was seeing anyone. So it was like, I guess they're not. I always kind of thought it was a men's, not so much that they got back together. Same, but same actually, is what I meant. Yeah. Sort of realized that they weren't going to keep fighting, whatever yeah. it was, where, like, they had to be around each other. But, like, I mean, they never really officially even, like, get back together, mm-hmm. I would say. But they also sort of are at the same time together um, to the point where later in the season when they have to sort of confront Mm -hmm. this relationship, it's a little bit odd because it's kind of like, oh, like they sort of just kind of fall back into habit, I think. Yeah. I guess what I meant then is that I always thought that amends was when they got back together and then it was kind of funny in this episode to hear them talking about how they're not. But really, I mean, that's not a nitpick or anything. It's, again, totally realistic that people would just kind of have ill-defined relationships <laughs> um so well especially Buffy and Angel because exactly. like, they like, can't really they can't be together, be together yeah. but like they're also not yet seemingly willing to not be together so hmm. um yeah but um I love this episode I think it's yeah it's an interesting one because we kind of have to see it is and we Mm kind of have to see Buffy well certainly it sets up a lot of fun things coming down for the rest of the season but Mm -hmm. also um we see Buffy kind of having to be the slayer without being the slayer Mm -hmm. and like she also is again like in keeping with the rest of the theme we were talking about confronted with the idea of like what if she's not the slayer Mm mm-hmm and, you know, Willow's kind of saying, like, would that be so bad? But Buffy's kind of saying, like, I don't, like, she's accepted her burden to mm-hmm. the point where she no longer knows who she is without being the Slayer. Yeah. I mean, and it is such an intrinsic part of who she is that, like, I, you know, it isn't, like, it's not just her profession. It is more than that. It is deeper than that because it affects, you know, affects her physically. It affects 
everything that's happened to her, it's traumatized her and her family. Like it is more than that. So it is, it is pretty cruel for them to strip it away like that. I mean, obviously it's cruel and obviously the Watchers Council are a bunch of D bags and I hate them and I've, and as does everyone, I think, you know, nobody thinks that they're in the right, but yeah, it is. Well, and also this, this, raises the larger question of what is the point of this, uh, honestly? Yeah, Why does she have to prove she can fight a vampire without her powers if the whole point of her being the Slayer is to have powers? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or is it that she is not coasting on her powers and has also really learned, like, the lessons that Giles is trying to teach her? Mm-hmm. Like, we see with the training of, like, you know, be aware of your surroundings. You have to be able to find the vampires. You, have, you can't just rely on, like, your strength. Like, I'm mm-hmm. guessing that's what it is. But, okay, here's the loophole or the, the plot hole, I guess. Yeah. If this is something that happens to a Slayer when she turns 18, mm-hmm. and we've kind of established that Faith is probably older than Buffy, mm. did Faith get this test or did they skip it because she was already 18 when she became the Slayer? Great and question. And if that's true, was she actually called a little bit older than Slayers usually mm. are? Mm. Like kind of an Anakin situation. Mm-hmm. And that's um, why she goes like, wild. <laughs> yeah. Also like, like Anakin. <laughs> why did they never... Um, yeah, that's a good question. ...do this to, to Faith? Like I that don't doesn't know. make I mean, a lot of sense. Maybe they did in Boston and we just never hear about Wouldn't it. Wouldn't she have mentioned it? I don't know. Like, She'd... hey, Buffy, your 18th birthday's coming up. Well, maybe like... she would have if they were still friends. Maybe. Also, know. Faith isn't, like, super self-aware in that way. But it is a good question. I, I do wonder if she did it or not. Um, also, I think the big loophole in this, or the really, you know, I I don't mean to point these things out as a, like, criticism of the episode, because I think that the Watcher's Council is, like, a pretty good conceit. You know, they're clearly a stand-in for, like, the patriarchy who just tells you the hows and whys of, of why you have to do things a certain way and then enforces it when it doesn't always make logical sense. So like, I think that that part is pretty solid, but from their perspective, you know, if they're trying to get the Slayer to prove something to them, but if the Slayer, like if the Slayer was a bad Slayer, she'd be dead already. <laughs> you know, like why they don't need to give her extra tests. She's tested all the time. I mean, it sounds like this is not a test that they actually run very frequently. Right. Cause they don't really make it to 18. Yeah. Fair enough. But again, like, what's the logic? And then by that logic, any Slayer that makes it to 18 is clearly exceptional or at least above average. So, like, why would you risk killing them to why? Like, the whole thing doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And also, I mean... Other than as a way to just exert their dominance over the Slayer, which is the part that I 100% believe, you know, I... I don't mean it doesn't I mean, make sense in the episode. that to me kind of seems yeah. to be, like, the underlying and, yeah, exactly. point of this is to sort of prove that, like, they might be far away, they might not be involved in the day-to-day, mm-hmm. but they still control her. Right. So, in, again, and in that like, sense, like... Like, like uh, they yeah. give her powers, they can take them away. Right, kind of right, right. Even though they obviously cannot. <laughs> okay, but here's the other thing, speaking of the Watcher's Council, because mm-hmm. they're all British. Mm-hmm. But we see in future episodes kind of the origin stories of the Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the Watchers Council all British? Why well, were they taken over by the British? And I'm I mean, guessing it I, was because of colonialism. I was just going to say, I think that is the answer to that is world history. <laughs> yeah. Just the same insidiousness that happened in the rest of the world or in reality. Yeah, yeah I think so. That makes sense to me. But this is really a sadistic test that they set up her up with. I mean, this is. vampire is, well, okay, so, but this vampire, he's insane. But this is where we get into the tricky area mm-hmm. of what does it mean to be human versus your vampire self? Because they're well, saying that, the, and this is this kind of goes hand in hand with the questions around Drusilla. Like, they're saying that this vampire is not only evil, 
was also an evil human. Mm -hmm. And maybe that tracks with the theory of if you don't have a lot of humanity to begin with, you're an extra evil demon. But why does the insanity carry over? Yeah, that is a good, I think that is a good question. (laughs) Cause I, you know, and the thing that Alex brought up was, um, the episode, you know, the episode in season two, Lie to Me, where Buffy's friend from middle school, you know, tracks her down and tries to become a vampire because he has cancer. Like if all of your like physical ailments are going to stay with you, then does he still have to see all that? But what's the distinction? You know, in Drusilla's case, I think it's like, could still be pinned down to something supernatural. But in this guy's case, it's, you know, he's taking pills for it. Like it's something physical, something off is is not functioning in his brain or in his bloodstream or in his spine or something physical. So like, why is that different than cancer? Why wouldn't that be well, repaired right. by his why becoming a vampire? Why does he pills? Yeah. Like he's a vampire. Or is it psychosomatic, which would still seem like some sort of physical ailment that should have been cured by his vampirism. Or is he addicted to pills? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's okay. like they were trying to come up with a really interesting well, it's because they want her to have vampire, that. vampire, but they they, yeah. they always want to do this, and then they always have to kind of bend the rules that they wrote, they well, set see, down the pilot. I think it's less to make him an interesting vampire and more to give Buffy that awesome sleigh at the end, because the only way that that makes sense is if he needs to drink water. Right. So, but then you have to kind of explain why a vampire also needs pills. But he didn't need to have pills to be psychotic like that in the episode. He could have played this all without having that pill element, and it would have still made sense to me, I think. Yeah, but then how does he drink the holy water? Well, exactly. I'm saying it's not a plot device to make him extra evil. It's a plot device to let her kill him in that way. Yeah. Um, That that said, I obviously love uh, Zachary. I like this actor. He's going to come back again to play a different character, and I'm happy about it. I wish he stayed around even longer, frankly, because I think he's a delight. Like, watching him play this, this vampire was really, you know, it was really entertaining and, like, it, uh, this episode is also a lot more straightforward of kind of like a, not exactly a slasher, but like, you know, she's trapped in a small area. He's staking her out. It's just a lot more kind of seemed a little bit more traditional, like crime drama. Um, you know, the, it is he, kind of like the, a mini slasher. Film. Yeah. And like the way that he's like, you know, he's, he's mimicking kind of like a, yeah, like a, a movie serial killer. He's taking all these pictures of Joyce. He's throwing them in Buffy's face. He's taunting her emotionally and he's also chasing her around. And, you know, he's clearly like, yeah, has issues, and so all of that is kind of like, yeah, this is like a little mini slasher movie. <laughs> but what I mean to say is that I like Zachary. I don't like Zachary, but I like this performance, and he is a fun, interesting vampire, a fun villain. Yeah. I do want to mention that, so we we meet this watcher, Quentin, mm-hmm. um, who is so dispassionate about like Mm -hmm. the life of the slayer who he clearly views as just like a tool in this war um, and not so much a person. But this whole episode makes me extremely happy to know that I know what fate befalls him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not sad. Yeah. Me neither. He really is the worst. Kind of going back to talking about Buffy and her identity with, like her identity as the Slayer, her self-perception as the Slayer. I think the other thing that really gets me in this episode, you know, like they call it helpless and that really is the theme of it. Like she has to just deal with this, like, like there's that scene in the beginning where Cordelia is kind of getting harassed, but not kind of getting harassed by some guy on campus and Buffy like goes over to do her thing, which is like, 
push him away and like physically protect this girl who she cares about. You know, they're not friends, but like she cares about Cordelia and she cares about being a protector and to like take that away from her so that she can't do it, you know? Ugh. And then like, there's that street harassment scene, which like, again, I kind of didn't really enjoy watching, but like point made, you know, she's, she can't really protect herself or can't, you know, can she protect herself? Ugh. Just, I guess I'm not really making a point other than lamenting bu- the situation that Buffy is in. Um, and, <laughs> before I forget. Also, I forget about this, but one of my all-time favorite lines when that guy is being an asshole and he's harassing Cordelia, he says something about how he, he she humiliated him in front of his posse and her response is, first of all, posse passe. Like, that is one of the best lines that's ever been written or spoken on television ever. <laughs> but again, we do see that Cordelia can take care of herself. That's true. Like, like we did see in the last episode, you know, Buffy kind of... Um, jumped in to defend Amy and Michael. Mm-hmm. And she clearly has this reputation at school as like an enforcer mm-hmm. because like she just showed up and the other guy was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. no problem here. Um, but Cordelia is probably the one person she doesn't really have to defend. Um, well, she's saved Cordelia several times. No, no, she so, has. I mean, against yeah. like Cordelia can take care of herself against this guy. Sure. Um, but it's just a, to prove to Buffy that she really can't do even the small yeah. things that she thought she could. Um, I, yeah, so I guess there's some other, I think the, the, the big thing or another big thing to still talk about is like Buffy and Giles or really just Giles, but just kind of some other minor points before we get into that. I, I didn't say this about in the last episode, but like there was a, there, you know, they're still kind of like dealing awkwardly with the like fallout from, um, Xander and Willow's indiscretions and the fact that. Oz and Willow are back together now, but that they're all still hanging out with Xander. So like in the last episode, there's kind of like, I just, you know, the less of Xander, the better. And he kind of has these self pitying moments throughout, throughout gingerbread. But I did enjoy in this episode, him and Oz debating about the various types of kryptonite and what was affecting Buffy. So it was just like, well, I'm glad that they get to have this like little nerd bonding session. It's annoying to me that Xander is around. I would prefer him not be there for all kinds of reasons, but if he's going to be around and if Oz has to put up with him, at least Oz can get something out of it, which is like somebody to talk about these nerdy things with. Well, it's nice because in the last episode, like they did get to kind of rebond and mm-hmm. like saving them. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and Oz is too chill to really be bothered by Xander being around. Mm-hmm. Um, but Xander has no leg to stand on, like, worrying about people being suspicious of him. I know. <laughs> that whole plot line was just like, yeah. um, stop, Xander. No one feels bad for you. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is nice to see that they're slowly getting... I mean, minus Cordelia, the group is kind of getting back to, like, their mm-hmm. state, their equilibrium of friendship. Um, but so, speaking of, like, relationships in this episode, though... Oh, yeah. Um, I think the really heartbreaking thing about this, too, is, like... We really do see to the extent that Buffy and Giles' relationship has gone from sort of um, subtext of being like a mm-hmm. like a surrogate, paternal, surrogate yeah. like paternal situation to like almost outright where mm-hmm. you know Buffy's dad basically bails, blows her off Ugh. for her birthday, yeah, and her mom offers to go with her to the ice show, and mm-hmm. she says no, that's not necessary. But then we see her. Then yeah, ask, ask Giles, Giles if he will yeah. go. Yeah. So like she doesn't want to go with Joyce, but she would consider going with her mm-hmm. other surrogate father mm-hmm. figure. Um, 
Which makes it all the more heartbreaking when she finds out that what Giles has betrayed doing. her yeah. for this. And and I think at the end, they, they sort of make up a little bit because she realizes the extent to which he was doing this because it was his job, mm-hmm. but that he was only willing to still... Like, he, he did give her the injections, he did take away her powers, but he wasn't really fully willing to risk her dying mm-hmm. over this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cost him his job. Well, exactly. But, I think, yeah. Yeah. But also, like, before that happens, like... This is both of her father figures in this episode. Betraying her, her down, yeah. And it's Ugh. just so heartbreaking for her. Yeah. And what I thought was well played is that from the get-go, you know, Giles is not making eye contact with her. Like, as soon, you know, yeah. from the beginning of this episode. So it's like, it, I wouldn't say that it's obvious, but like, it, for if you've seen the episode ever, it's clear that like something is wrong and that he he is not handling it well either, you know, or rather he's handling it morally, but he's not like... No, he's not cut out to do this this prescribed watcher role that he's been assigned. He can't do it anymore. You know, he he can't look her in the eye. He can't lie to her. Um, he is still going through with it. But yeah, when push comes to shove, he does make a sacrifice for her. And I think that that is kind of the reason why, like, uh, yeah, not that they, like, instantly make up and she 100% forgives him right away. But, like, I think that the reason that they're able to kind of move on is because he doesn't just say well, they were just making me do it. It was my job and I really care about you. You know, he shows her, I think demonstrably that like, that was a mistake and I should have never done it. And here's the ways that I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go to the warehouse or whatever abandoned building they were in to save you. You know, he does save her from one, the second vampire who's in the building. Um, and then, yeah, he loses his job over it and he doesn't, he doesn't try and keep it really, you know, he doesn't try and def- defend that. He realizes that he can't be part of this. So. Yeah, I mean, not if this is what's asked of mm-hmm. him. I mean, and I think they both kind of come to that realization at the same time. Right, yeah. Um, because, you know, up until this point, like, he does just appear to Buffy as another part of this machine that mm-hmm. basically views her as just, a like, a pawn and a basically, a, you know, a weapon, but not so much a person. Except that's Giles' downfall is, like, he does view her as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, she... Because Buffy so clearly is a person. Like, <laughs> yeah. Know, she's such a force of personality. And um, maybe he's not being the watcher he's supposed to be. But, like, a dispassionate, uninterested watcher really wouldn't be successful with Buffy. Mm-hmm. Because she would just rebel against well, that, right? Which like, we'll, we'll see <laughs> in another episode. Right. Yeah. But... But I mean, I think the reason like and but this is what we talked about before is like the Watchers Council being far away, not really involved in the day to day action. Mm -hmm. They've set down all these rules and guidelines and like tests that they have to do. But like they've never really stopped to consider what it means to have each Slayer be a different person. Yeah. And like, you know, Giles tells Buffy like he realized day one, like she wasn't going to work with the normal protocol. Mm -hmm. And like he made the correct call Mm -hmm. to just kind of go with, you know, kind of wing it with her. Mm -hmm. But um, now we're kind of starting to see the the consequences for them of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the consequences, yeah, with the Watchers Council. You, right, you know right. what's interesting too is that um, I mean, I mean, they might be a part of why Buffy's still alive, right? But, yeah, yeah, exactly. It definitely is. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we know again that's the thing that we know is true because Giles allows her to have friends, and you know, Xander saves her in season one. So, like, at least in that one way, she would have been dead if Giles hadn't broken the rules. Uh, no, and in this case, it's funny that you mentioned that because this is an example where her friends don't show up and help her, mm-hmm. except that Giles, Giles does. does. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Um, 
the other interesting thing really is that, so we were talking about how like, okay, obviously logically this test makes no sense. There's no reason for the watchers to do this other than to demonstrate their power over the slayer, but also over the, the watcher because, you know, Giles says it, but he doesn't really follow it through that much that like, Hey, I'm the only one with any experience out of this entire group. So like, you should be valuing me. He should be the most powerful one. And so like, it's not a surprise then that like, well, this authority, you know, structure is challenged. The way that they, that they deal with that is they kick him out. Like there's no chance for him. He should clearly be the one in charge or at least be a very powerful member of this group. And like, they are so not just stuck in their ways. Right. But it's like, they don't even invite him to their retreats. Yeah. But it's just like, it's so not conspiratorial exactly, but like, it's just annoying because it's reminding me about a lot of things in the real world, right? Of it's like the pe- people in power want to stay in power. And that is uh, always a relevant story to tell. <laughs> These guys don't care at all, really, about the mission that they've sworn to. They care about being the ones with the power and they care about putting down anyone who challenges them, which in this case well, is Buffy like, and Giles, you know. Quentin, Quentin so self-righteously tells Buffy that, you know, it's a war that they're fighting mm-hmm. and he's so like using mm-hmm. that as a reason to tell her like she's wrong to kind of like question argue back it. with yeah. him but like and question it but like if he really cared about winning the war then he would care about doing it by any means necessary and listen to the people on mm-hmm. the ground saying these are the ways we have to do it where you're right I mean like, this is a parallel to people in power where like if they really cared about successfully running government organizations <laughs> yeah, then they wouldn't you know they would actually do what they say they're doing mm-hmm. and just listen to what the people want and, like, all of that instead of, like, entrenching power and just, like, yeah. doing whatever they can and, to make sure that happens. Not to say that there's never difficult questions that come up. You know, you can't I, – I understand that you can't always just do what – you know, what is the popular thing or what everybody wants you to do. I think that that can also lead to a lot of trouble. But, like, it's so clear that that's not – you don't have to not, say you know, something is the popular thing just because it's the thing that you want to have happen. Right. And you also don't have to – like in this case, like, right, they're going to such extremes to put down anything and to make sure that everyone submits to them. They're literally trapping her with no powers with a deadly vampire. Like that's above and beyond. Like, I mean, more than anything, doesn't this seem just like a really easy way to get your slayer killed? Yeah. But I guess maybe, you know, I mean, it seems so irresponsible. But again, though, that's what I'm saying is it's like that test in the even in the episode, I I believe that they're not doing this test for any real reasons other than to reinforce their power. And also, like maybe it's good for the, maybe again one of the ways in which they keep that their keep their dominance is by not letting a Slayer and Watcher get too comfortable together. They probably want the Slayer to die because the less experience that any of these Slayers have, you know, the less time that they're going to have to question anything. And the same with their Watcher, you know, like you've already made the point. Buffy's already lived probably longer than most slayers and like definitely longer than they want her to they do want someone else to get called so that they don't have to deal with her she they know she's trouble you know which again goes back to what we're talking about where it would seem logical that a more experienced slayer is a more effective exactly and that's not what they want but she's a more problematic slayer Mm -hmm. that asks questions and demands autonomy and like yeah you know recognition for doing the job they want someone young who is naive enough and inexperienced enough to to let them dominate Ugh, these guys are the worst Ugh. well this is not the last time we'll know about that and it is uh, yeah i mean yeah i don't want to i'll say things that i regret so yes yeah um so i want to point out a couple things mm-hmm. um 
Buffy's again wearing her sad overalls, yes. which uh, this might be the last time we see them. Okay, here's my thought about it, though. I think she reclaims them in this episode. <laughs> she puts them on because she feels helpless, but by the end, she has demonstrated that she is not. Those are her power overalls now. <laughs> um, they also have handy pockets for Chekhov's holy water. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to know, they kind of show her, like, taking yeah, it from yeah. hers, like, storage thing. Um, also, at the very end, I love so, so much that Xander can't open the peanut butter. Yes. Ugh, thank because God. Because he makes that such a gross deal out of being yeah. the strong man, and, like, he can't even open it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. The other thing that I noticed, so they're in a, you know, I, I said, like, warehouse earlier, but this whole showdown with uh, Zachary the vampire takes place in an abandoned house. And it's like a boarding house or yeah. something, because it says, like, the Sunnydale Arms or um, something. The other thing that I really liked is that Buffy gets to live out what I assume is everybody's fantasy, but might have only been mine, of jumping through the laundry chute in, like, an old building. Yeah. <laughs> I was at one point, that was how she got to the basement, and I was like, that looks super fun, and I have always wanted to do that every time there's a laundry chute. <laughs> Ugh, stupid Buffy, getting to live out my fantasies. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all in all, a good episode. I like that... I, I, yeah, it's so clearly a turning point for Buffy and Giles together. And like, I, I, yeah, I hate that they have to go through this. I hate that he let it get as far as it did, but I think true, I truly believe that he, you know, has repented for what he's done and is going out of his, you know, is making up for it. But it's hard to blame him too much because he's also so wholeheartedly bought into this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing what he's been told. Yeah. So... And thought he was doing things that were making, a, you know, he he got probably got into the Watchers Council because he believed that that would make a difference. You know, he was trying to like quote unquote make a difference and like save the world. So, yeah, well, he's being betrayed if by he them volunteered too. Volunteered, or if it's sort of like the same kind of thing as being born the Slayer, where True. you kind of get born into it. That's a good point. Because he says his mother and his grandfather were sla- were Watchers. Well, yeah, as that's well. true. Or is it just like you know when your parents are both dentists, you become a dentist? <laughs> I don't know. It's the life you know, and it maybe pays well. I mean, I well. think he kind of says, like, that the reason he rebelled was because he knew that this was, like, his mm-hmm. future, and, like, he didn't really want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. True. But I guess either way, he thought he was doing good by being part of that organization. So it's not as though he's he's doing this shady thing to her, thinking, you know, he's not, he doesn't have ulterior motives the way that the council does, I don't think. Yeah, no, he hasn't been disillusioned yet. Right. Until this episode. Yeah. Um, well, that's helpless. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Next next time we've got, ooh, the Zeppo. That's an interesting one. <laughs> Actually, and Bad Girls. Two okay. episodes that I think for me, inevitably, when I watch them mm-hmm. in real time, I'm like into them. But they these would be the two that if I looked at the list of season mm-hmm. three episodes, I'd be like, Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious um, how I'm going to feel about the Zeppo this time around. I've had different reactions to it a bunch of times, so. Same. Especially I, now. I have a different yeah. reaction every time. Yeah. And, and especially given the way this current viewing has been exactly. going. And given that it's a very Xander-centric episode, yeah. I am curious to see how I'm going to react. Yeah, me too. Um, um, do I, you have any pop culture? I hate to be a dud again, but no, I just keep, I've just been watch, keeping up on things you know um I did start reading the golden compass 
which is part of this, you know, it's a popular fantasy young adult series that I, for some reason, completely missed as a child or as an adolescent. Um, I got a copy of it recently. And so I started, I, you know, I just kind of started it and then, um, but I'm really into it so far. So far I'm, it's one of the few reading experiences that I've had as an adult that remind me of what reading felt like as a kid. Like if I wish I had read this when I was younger, because I know I would have sat in my room, you know, sun up to sundown, just reading in my bed and which I only did with a handful of books. And I was, even when I was young, but like, I guess I'm just saying I'm really enjoying it. It's making me feel like a kid again. Not the, not the book or the concept, but like the actual practice of reading it is really enjoyable. So, so that dovetails really nicely with my popcorn recommendation. <laughs> um, oh, I because, wonder what it is. <laughs> ah, um, I did read Philip Pullman as, well, I think as like a young adult. Like mm-hmm. I think... Um, Maybe I read it in college even, um, but I remember there was a stretch where I got very into reading the um, His Dark mm-hmm. Materials series, which is The Golden Compass is the first one, and then another a trilogy. series that he wrote yeah. for um, adults, actually. Um, I mean, he's one of my favorite authors um, because, it, like what you were saying, like he writes fantasy in a way where he just builds – it's like J.K. Rowling. Exactly. It totally feels like – you can just yeah. fall right into. Yeah. And um, – so he recently began a prequel trilogy to the initial Golden Compass one, um, and I'm reading the first book in that one mm-hmm. um, called... The Book of um, Dust. Well, The Book of Dust is the the trilogy name. Oh, and I didn't realize that. this book is... Um, really? That branding yeah, is Yeah, well, it's bad. kind of how His Dark Materials is the trilogy, and then The Golden Compass is the first book. Yeah, but it's not centered in, like, the title. It, you know what, it, hold up, let me grab the book, because... No. I thought it was the opposite, and then... Oh, yeah, no, you're totally right, but that's weird. Ugh. Because you're right, because the the book jacket says very prominently... The book, yeah, no, I didn't even occur to me that that wasn't the title. That's Um, so weird. But the name of it is actually La Belle Sauvage. Yeah, I see that. I'm saying that probably incorrectly. Good enough Um, for me. But it's very good. I okay. probably am going to finish it tonight yeah. because it's Friday and I can stay up all night reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's just like I've fallen right back. I haven't read The Golden Compass and um, or the last two. The mm-hmm. um, the Amber Spyglass, obviously, would be the last one that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read them in years. But I, I as soon as I was like two pages in, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this mm-hmm. world. Like, and it's so, it's like a, it's an interesting parallel world to ours. Yeah, where I, I really am Some things are it. very similar and some are very different and um, it's just so enjoyable to um, be back. I and, also, and the yeah. only thing I worry about is he's not a young man. Yeah. And I really hope he finishes these last two books before, you know, anything horrific happens. He'll finish them before George R. R. Martin does, so that's well, that, that <laughs> one thing for certain. <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually funny because I posted a picture on my personal Instagram with the book jacket in it, and I got a lot of excited comments. Like, I really, like, it's just, it's so frustrating to me because when I was a kid, it's not that I didn't have friends that read, but, like, I didn't really have friends that read or like got really into stuff like this. So like when I would find these like things that were kind of niche interests, like I didn't have anyone to like help me find new ones. So it was like, I have, you know, Harry Potter was like literally on the nightly news every night. And that was how I heard about it. So it was like, at one point I was like, I'm just going to find this book and read it and see what the big fuss is about. But like, Otherwise, I would have been so much later that I would have ever picked that up. So it's kind of like with this series, like I'm so annoyed that nobody ever showed this to me when I was younger, but like, I don't know who would have done that. Ugh. 
everybody. Yeah, everybody I, failed me. I honestly think that I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I read the other series first. Mm. Like, I think that I somehow stumbled onto the Sally Lockhart mm-hmm. books, and then someone was like, oh, you know, like, he did The Golden Compass. And I had heard of The Golden... I don't... Because they made a movie probably when we were in college. No, I read the books before okay. the movie came out. But I think it was right before or something. Right. I don't really remember. But, like, I do know that I think I either came to him at the end of high school or the beginning of college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember talking with Melissa, our friend Melissa, a mm-hmm. lot about these. Um, but I think for me, the advantage of, like, I don't remember having a ton of friends that were voracious readers mm-hmm. either. But my sister was. Yeah. And so, like, I remember, and we're the same age, so we we passed books back and forth. And our parents were very good about, like, taking us to get books. Mm-hmm. Like I remember we, we would go to these like book warehouse sales where mm. they would literally like let us loose with like a shopping cart. Yeah. And it was like, and I remember stumbling across like the weirdest like series. Yeah. Cause that's all the runoff like, of things that are not selling well. <laughs> that's how those, but like, um, but like, that's how I read a lot of things. But also like, I mean, obviously like I had heard of Harry Potter, but like the way I got into Harry Potter was we were babysitting, a 10 year old boy mm-hmm. who was obsessed with Harry Potter and we would babysit him. And so one night Claire got really bored when he went to bed and she just picked up mm-hmm. Harry Potter and started reading it. And she literally came home the next day and was like, Allie, we've got to read these books. <laughs> like, but that's how it happens. It's yeah. like, you have to have someone else to kind of introduce these things sometimes. Well, and like um, that, that is the one thing that I, again, that I regret is this like, I didn't like going to libraries when I was a kid. And partially that's because like the library in my hometown was like, not good for a long time, at least in my memory. And, but like, I really wish I had been friends with a librarian because like they could have shown you all the cool books because otherwise, like my parents were really good about taking me to the bookstore and letting me just kind of pick whatever I wanted. But like that meant like, I literally would just go to the same part of the bookstore that had like the young adult fantasy. And I would just like pick up every book until I found one that sounded good. And like, sometimes they were garbage and sometimes they were my favorite book in the world. But like, I, nobody told me any, you know, not, no, I'm not trying to sound self pitying. I'm just, um, I was just well, guessing based if, on book if, covers if, and book spines. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I mean, the last book came out in, I think, 2000. So mm. this is still a relatively recent series, but well, the, it, yeah. it ended fairly, right. fairly recently in terms of like, I mean, 20 years ago sure. is not that recent. But I know but, what you're saying. Would yeah. have been a thing that people were talking about when I was young. Yeah. Mm. I guess what I was laughing, I guess not laughing about, but the other really sad thing was that when I... I must've been when I was like 12 or so the bookstore in my hometown closed and there wasn't another bookstore. Like there only, there was one, there was a borders again briefly for like a couple years, but then borders went out of business. And now there's still, there's one used bookstore in my hometown and that's it. So it was like, and I didn't know that that used bookstore existed until after I was in college. So it was like, literally I used the way I would find books was by going to the bookstore and standing in front of this one shelf and just like picking things out. And then when they closed that bookstore, it was like, well, you're never going to find a new book again. Sorry. You're out of luck. (laughs) I think I did regularly go to the library. Mm -hmm. um, And I think I remember we had a very good library in that the young adult section was really good, but also like, I just remember wandering all the aisles Mm -hmm. and like, I found this like series of mysteries that Mm. I liked and they were like, romantic mysteries for like adults I think but like not like <laughs> it wasn't like cool. romance like it wasn't yeah. like you know um I'd read that. you know harlequin mm-hmm. novel or whatever but it was still like I think maybe they were appropriate for high school age I don't know I remember my mom had read a bunch of them when she was younger and she was totally on board with us reading them <laughs> so it can't have been that shocking um 
But I remember just like wandering the aisles of the library and like picking stuff out. I should have done that though. I said when I was very young, the li- I think the library was pretty underfunded, but they built a new one when I was in like fourth grade. So at that point, I really didn't have an excuse other than like my yeah. family didn't use libraries. So like we, it was like, wasn't part of my life really, but I should have. I mean, I think ah, it's sigh. like, I think a lot of that too is like, it is your family and like what you're exposed to. And, um, you know, it helps to have parents who read a lot, um, mm-hmm. Like, my mom is a pretty heavy reader. Um, I remember, my like, we would go spend summers with my grandparents, and, like, my grandfather would complain because we would just, like, sit around reading. And my mom was like, and? What's your point? <laughs> like, that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, I think you're right in that, you know, your friends are such a big influence, and if you don't have friends who spend a lot of time reading, then it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're totally on your own discovering things. Yeah. And, like... But I mean, like, I wouldn't say you were totally like, I mean, I think I remember you introducing me to things, especially now. So, you know, you're definitely making up for <sighs> yeah, lost time. Yeah, you're right. I'm wonderful. Um, now, I guess the bright, the, the silver lining is that now I get to read this great, it, what's to me yeah. a great new book series. And I, I get mean, to get do you know that <laughs> I'm extremely jealous yeah. of you reading this for the first time? Yeah. So, it's great. So, well, I'm really enjoying it. I'll have to try and finish it this week. You know what I'm suddenly remembering is that I think I read the second book in that series when I was like in high school Mm. and I didn't know that it was part of a trilogy. Interesting. And then I read The Golden Compass and then I think I was like a few chapters into The Subtle Knife and I was like, I've read this. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember how that happened, but like I somehow just stumbled across the second book that I'm remembering that now. That's why I don't remember how I found it because it was like, I came into it. It's like totally sideways. That's funny. Yeah. I um, ordered the second, the other two books in the the original trilogy today. So after I finish Golden Compass, I'll be able to read the rest of it. And then I did also order the first Sally Lockhart book. I actually suspect like something about that is like really feeling familiar to me. And I don't know if it just looks exactly like the covers of the Nancy Drew games or if like I've actually read it. So I'm, I'm interested to read that one and see if I, I feel like I read it, but I couldn't find anything online that like convinced me one way or the other. I will tell you that I do think the ambiance of the Nancy Drew games reminds me a lot of the Sally okay. Lockhart. Books. <laughs> it's possible that I just have seen enough covers that I saw the cover of Sally Lockhart and I was like, yeah, I've done that. Because it's the ruby and the smoke, yeah, right? So it's it does like sound this like, like smoky, like stream, yeah. like a woman. Like it's definitely like every Nancy Drew game. Cover oh my ever. gosh. I was going through some old files like a few days ago and I found like I was, I keep a lot of weird things because I'm. Not because I'm a hoarder, but just like, you know, I don't know. I just like to go back and read old things sometimes, but I'm buried in some other notes. I found, um, like, a scrap of paper where I had been working out some Nancy Drew puzzles. I was like, <laughs> okay, Jenny, you don't need to keep this. <laughs> oh, no, it was really funny. I think it was that. One day it was that, um, I will talk about one of those games as my book culture yeah. recommendation. <laughs> I was then, I was like, oh, I should see if there's some that I can buy. I haven't checked in a while. Um, so now um, they are... Um, automatic downloads mm, so yeah, you can go exactly, on Amazon yeah. and buy them to download Shoot, I'm gonna but do they that haven't right come now. up with a new one in a while okay I'm gonna go check yeah I feel like something weird happened with the like company that was licensing it but maybe I made that up no that would that would make sense because I think it's been a couple of years and mm-hmm. they used to come out fairly mm-hmm. regularly oh you're right okay well we should wrap it up and hopefully we can talk a little bit more about Philip Pullman next week yes um, so what team are you on this week? I think I'm going to be team Giles. It's kind of controversial, but no, you know, I would agree it. because he did step up in mm-hmm. the end. 
um, and help her. Mm-hmm. And he had all his books taken away. Yeah, they all burned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not going to be Team Amy. No. no. Okay. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. Commentary.com.